Today's podcast features Kate Emmerich. Kate is a licensed clinical social worker who currently works in the counseling center at ETSU. The LCSW is yet another route for someone to go if they want to do clinical work with clients, but the degree, a master's in social work, is a bit different than a counseling degree, and as Kate discusses, may offer some different options beyond clinical work. This could be a great next step to consider if you are passionate about broader social issues or are interested in working more broadly within your community. Thank you for being willing to jump on here and do this. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll just, I'll just dive in. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you are currently doing, what your current role is? Sure. So I am at the ETSU Counseling Center. And my primary role is as a senior staff member. Um, so clinical, um, I see individual clients who are ETSU, current ETSU students. Um, and then I'm also in, in terms of like on the clinical supervisory end, um, we also are a training site. So we have master's level students from the social work and the um, clinical um, counseling program in um, at ETSU. So we train those uh, students who are placed at our site. And so I also supervise um, both social work and um, the counseling program students. Okay. Um, and they actually carry case for caseloads as well. Yeah. Um, so we're one of the we're one of the only like actual clinical sites in the area. So we're, we're, we're well sought after. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we actually get Milligan students too. We have Wesley. I don't know if you know Wesley. I don't. Um, right now, but yeah, we, um, and last, last year we had Rebecca Lockridge, I think is her last name. Okay. Um, and they, they're fantastic. So we, we love the Milligan students. We're like, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so that's the clinical part. And then um, I also am the coordinator for OASIS. Okay. Is um, the campus's sexual assault and relationship violence prevention program, but the the acronym stands for outreach and advocacy, sexuality information for students. So we take more of a sex positive and relationship positive approach um, with violence prevention, um, just because so many students have never had an experience of connecting their sexual identity or like their experience of being sexual beings with like positivity yeah help and so it feels weird to start the conversation with violence when there's no blueprint for what healthy looks like so right um so yeah so i'm in charge of that program and i have a i also supervise a graduate assistant for that um and yeah yeah so lots of things awesome awesome so you are you have you're an lcsw yes um which for those not in the lingo is licensed clinical social worker yes so can you talk through, like, well, one, where did you, where'd you go to school for that? So I went to um, Michigan State University. Okay. SW, um, and then for undergrad, I went to University of Vermont in English. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask what your, what your major was. So yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that as an 18, 19, 20 year old English major, you didn't necessarily predict that this is what you would be doing now no 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 I was planning on getting my master's in theater oh okay <laughs> and and I got some advice from some people who are like you don't need a master's in theater to do theater. yeah <laughs> don't spend money on that no. <laughs> um, so, yeah so how'd you end up on talk through that route then that path of how you went from being an English major to getting an LCSW to where you are sure. now yeah um I, I really like the reason like you know 
I appreciate you being appreciative that I'm doing this, but for me, this is like self-care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it can take an hour to be like, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm too busy to see one more client or do, right. you know, I'd love to talk about my journey for other students. Like to me, that is just so joyful and fun. Um, because I know that as a 20 something year old with no concept of like what to do with myself in the future and be feeling very lost and confused about my own identity and where I fit in in the world and what I was even good at or what I wanted. That was a very scary section of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and I know that, you know, that a lot of that comes through in counseling students around the traditional student age. Yeah. Like, like, I love working with this population because the individuation and like learning to be your own autonomous person, um, and it's scary, but so exciting. Like there's so much possibility and hope. And um, to me, that's really fun. But with that comes a lot of fear and of the unknown and the lack of control. And it can be harder too when there's self-comparison with like other students or people in your life who have more, much more of a solid idea, at least of what they think they want, you know, at that time. Um, and I know that at that time I had just started dating Michael Bluen, who is, you know, Dr. Bluen, who is my husband, my now husband, um, father of my children. And I remember what he, I mean, he's the type of person who's just like, I know what I want. I'm good at all these different things, but this is like what I want. And so he was just like on the PhD track, knew he wanted to be a prophet, like just knew. And I was, I just was not feeling. Right. <laughs> and that was really, to me, it was, you know, intimidating, you know, to, to imagine what was going to happen for me. So, 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 sh so long story short, graduated with an English degree with a minor in theater, really wanted to do some things with the theater knew that it was a real long shot, but I was in my early twenties. I had nothing to lose. So I moved to New York city because I knew, cause I was involved with theater. I knew a lot of UVM students who were, who were heading that direction. Um, so I moved to New York city and just got these crazy little apartments or just apartments full of people and cockroaches you know, yeah. <laughs> and just tried to do some stuff and worked retail. Um, and, uh, it was crazy and it was, you know, a perfect situation for a, person in their early 20s who can tolerate that kind of life sure um, and was just very lost and and um and so at the time I remember feeling very out of um out of water and not really knowing what to do next um and but looking back and I remember hearing this always from people who are older than me they're like oh you're 20s and oh call it you know and I was like this is confusing and scary I don't know why you're so envious of this or like thinking back on this was through these rose-colored glasses you yeah know, well like, yeah I was gonna say we look at it very romantically now yeah yeah, yeah. but I really and I not like I'm I know that I'm aging I know that I'm like moving into middle age because now I'm like oh you know? <laughs> I start to say those types of things it doesn't feel like that in the moment but just the freedom of not knowing but yeah. nothing really tying you down. And it's hard to feel that when you're in it because we have such, and like I, I can conceptualize this now therapeutically because of the work that I do, but it's really hard to not have answers and to not have control. Um, and so, and that's scary. That was yeah. scary for me. Um, but eventually I, what I try to tell people, and I, and I know that there's no way to tell someone like, it'll be okay. And this was my experience. So this will be, because of course, it, you know, my experience will not necessarily be another person's experience. But the wisdom that I've gained in like looking back on that is that everything that I did led me to here. Mm -hmm. but even if they didn't, they weren't seemingly connected, they were. And so doing the crazy thing that was not getting a master's toward what I'm doing now led me to that because I had some weird jobs that got me connected to parts of myself that made sense or didn't make sense and helped to narrow myself more towards something that made sense Yeah. as I further individuated and matured. Um, because that's another thing is that it just developmentally, 
I wasn't ready at 22 to make the decision about what to do next because I didn't. And if I had chosen a different path, it probably would have been a waste of money. I'm really glad I listened, you know, (laughs) to self-discovery because I really, you know, if you're, if you're in that kind of place where you're not sure, um, and they say, you know, the average American over the lifespan changes their careers at least three times, not jobs, careers. So, um, to expect, you know, that at 22, or 18 or whatever, you know, wherever you're conceptualizing this, that you will have all the answers till you're, you know, especially because the lifespan now is so different than the right. older days, you know, when it was like, you got married, had some children and yeah. died. <laughs> you know? Usually, you know, a lot of times during childhood. So, you know, like there's, there's a lot more space now for other possibility. Yeah. Um, so eventually, you know, I just worked with, um, I worked a very unique experience working in a very high end lingerie store, actually in New York city, one of those where you have to like buzz in and, and what I found was, because I've done a lot of different types of retail, and what I found through doing that was that while I love fashion and I'm interested in that, and I made great connections with uh, what we can call them clients and yeah. with my colleagues, um, and those parts of it were really fun, I found the retail, the retail life to be very vapid. And um, I didn't like the way that especially women treated each other in that environment. And um, I don't know if you're, you have done any work with the Enneagram. Um, yeah, some. I'm a nine, which is- Me too. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a nine, a hard nine. Um, and so for me, like knowing that now, it makes a lot more sense. Doing sure. retail for me was really not a great fit in terms of like what I was required or expected to do, like forcing people to buy credit cards. I knew oh, they yeah. didn't need and nor wanted nor was good for their credit. Yeah, I, um, I, was yeah. An, I worked retail for years and had issues with that same thing. I'm like, I, I have like, ethical issues with this like yeah Yeah, and I worked for the corporate gap I worked for gap like the corporate gap the one where it was upstairs in the Empire State or below the Empire State building and I just remember feeling like but I don't I want like I can't be a mean person in order to excel or to rise and the only thing that I saw was like the higher up the person was the crueler they were and and the like less human they were to the people under them and so to have the experience of being the person who's making the least and being treated that way i was just like yeah i i can't i could never do this to someone else so i'm going to always be stuck here right um and and it was miserable and so so i ended up getting this other job which was much better um but still retail and still you know sort of stuck in that space um and but what i recognized was that in an environment like that it was very intimate and people, and you're like, you're like in a dressing room with a person who's got almost no clothes on or no, literally, you know, as I was trying yeah. nothing on. and they are telling you these things about themselves that don't usually have, didn't never had happened for me before in other retail experiences. And so what I realized was what I loved about that job was connecting with the humans about the things about the, their big dark secrets and about mm-hmm. the things that were very vulnerable that I think that they felt more safe and comfortable doing because we were already in this really vulnerable space. Yeah. And they were trying on these things for a reason. And so there were there were like either there were issues in their you know long-term relationship or there was something going on with someone else. And um, and so they, they became connected to these really deep human issues. And I became really quickly the best salesperson on the team. And I really think that's why. I mean, I don't think that I because I'm not manipulative. Right. <laughs> and I'm not good at that. Like I don't want to sell them the card. I don't care about that. I can't do it naturally. You know, but I think what ended up happening was they bought things because they felt really good. Yeah. 
And so, but that was never what it was like. It felt good to for that to happen, but that's not what it was about for me. It wasn't about like selling, making people have things that they didn't need. Um, especially as a 22 year old who's like, this bra is a hundred dollars. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, and then I, um, and then I moved to Michigan where Dr. Bluen was getting his PhD um, because we sort of came to an impasse there. And it was like, what is this? What are we doing? And I was like, right. I don't know. I'm spinning my wheels in New York. I'm not doing anything besides being broad. Like, let's do this. You know, so I went to Michigan and didn't have a job, hadn't yet figured out the master's. And so I um, ended up working through the YMCA for a before and after school program um, with elementary school aged elementary. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and through that same, same thing, like I just kept having all these experiences like one-on-one -on -one with, with humans, big humans, little humans, and, um, and found myself wanting to do that more and all the ancillary pieces of it, like the drama with colleagues and the things that were unhealthy about any of the workplaces, those, it was, I was able to pare down with what is it about this that drives me and what am I attracted to in this? Um, and again, yeah, like now that I'm talking about this, it was, I think it actually was, it was Dr. Blue. We were taking a walk one day and I was just expressing, you know, just feeling, still feeling really lost. It was in the summer and so yeah. it felt a little more free to explore and I didn't have children. So I had actual like clarity of mind <laughs> sometimes. And, um, and he was like, you know, it just seems like there's this pattern where you're really good with people one-on-one -on -one and like that really brings you joy. Like what about being like a psychologist or something like that? Um, you know, I've never really, I don't I've really thought about that. Um, and so I just started doing some research. And so I reached out to a therapist who I knew through family who happened to get their degree in psychology. And my best friend had gotten their MSW just um, ironically at New York University. And so we would spend some time together in New York when she was going through that program. And so I contacted her and I got in touch with someone else who was involved in counseling because there are all these different routes mm -hmm. to get to this place. Right. Um, and I ended up settling on social work because it just felt like it aligned with my values and goals more. Okay. Um, and so that's how I ended up eventually. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was in Michigan and yeah, so got accepted into that program and, and that's where that led. So Awesome. So yeah, you said the, so you went the, the MSW route because that aligned more with, with your values. What, like, I'm going to assume it's still that you didn't think like, you know, I'm going to work in a university counseling center. Yeah. Doing clinical work. Like what did you envision doing with that degree like I guess probably both when you started that and in the process because if you're anything like me because I did I did the master's counseling program at UTHU mm -hmm. yeah. and even in the midst of that process I thought when I started I thought I wanted one thing halfway through it thought something completely different and even now I'm doing still something not quite what I would have thought I was going to be doing yeah. yeah and so what yeah what were you envisioning <laughs> i don't know that's okay. a great question i think i was still feeling i really was still in that space of really not knowing yeah but i had done at that point i had had that experience with the ymca i had worked in a summer camp where i worked with um a girl who had been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder which now looking back like she did not have that um but but just that again that one-on-one -on -one experience so i think that i had had enough experience with children at that point that i thought maybe that was the direction that i was going but then i had had the experience um in new york with with a majority of wi adult women and my, my mom was until she retired a um an OBGYN nurse practitioner so there was a lot of in my upbringing attention to working with women and like mm -hmm. empowerment of women and healthcare for women so I already sort of had that kind of passion um so some somewhere around the lines of one of those things gotcha. um, and I think and I think it was for me at that point I really needed to solidify something and move towards something 
And so I think I was still feeling at the beginning, it was still feeling very chaotic. Like I'm here and there's a program here that's accepted me and this makes sense, but I don't know what the heck this means yeah. for what I get out of this. You know, I didn't, again, didn't have that solid plan. And my first um, internship placement was at um, MSU Safe Place, which is their domestic violence shelter, um, which is like a secret location near the campus or on the campus. And um, I was petrified. Like when I heard, when I, you know, you just got placed. It was just like, this is now your placement. Yeah. And before I even got there, you know, and I, so I was so panicked because I had, first of all, never even been there for a you know, long term in Michigan. And then um, just imagining, like, I don't even know what this place is like. And now I have this placement in a place where there's something, in, something involving violence toward people that, and potentially threat of violence like, while you're working there. So just to me, the concept of domestic violence was kind of foreign. I, mm -hmm. I was not well educated in um, those dynamics. And I was very nervous about it. Um, and that experience was so formative and so positive. Um, and I learned so much um, about, you know, the assumptions that I had made just based on hearing it and where my fears were coming from um, and sort of the stereotypes um, that we get fed through media and just our culture um, and just working one again it was just, it was one on work with women you know who were trying to reach empowerment you know yeah. and independence and and escape really terrible scary situations and different women from all walks of life all sort of cultures and MSU is a really um, diverse place so there's a lot of diversity um, both you know racial and ethnic um, and cultural, but also just the diversity of experience um, and age and everything. Um, and, and so that was really neat because I got to provide, you know, sort of case management type support for them. Like we would drive them places and get them what they needed. Um, but also we ran groups with them that were really meaningful and got to know them. Um, and it was really, it was really neat. Um, so I think that that was sort of the beginning for me of where I am now. Um, and and I realized that like once I, once I started moving toward, you know, you know, the topic areas in my courses and that experience, um, and then just the, the next internship of, um, which was a clinical placement, um, where again, I was mostly seeing, um, adolescent or adult women or young women or girls. Um, I just, I just felt drawn to that. Um, so yeah, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Um, and then I ended up after graduating, we moved here because um, Dr. Blizzard started teaching at Milligan and I worked for Frontier Health where I did um, ther therapy for children in a couple of the, um, through the HEROES program in a couple of the okay. schools in uh, Johnson City. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I realized that I didn't necessarily want to do social work with children. Okay. Um, not because I don't love children, because I do, I think it's because I do love children <laughs> sure. um, so much. And, um, and also what I, you know, it was just really difficult. It was really, really trying day in and day out to try to fight against something that felt so insurmountable for these children. Um, and also just, just the experience that I had specifically in that program where it felt very isolating because I was alone with just myself and a case manager in the school. And then it was a school system, which we were completely outside of, you know, and right. I had no, you know, training or education besides, you know, before and after school program, sort of similarly outside of the education program. So it's, um, like I do well as a nine like integrating with other people. So I got to know some teachers and I got along with everyone. Okay. But just as someone who was really early in their career um, with a lot of really high acuity situations um, it, that was very, and no support that was very overwhelming to me. Um, and just recognizing now I can see the difference between working with adults um, and their higher order levels of change and trying to do therapy with a six year old 
um, which I was not super equipped to do. <laughs> um, and so, so I can recognize, like, I love children, but I, I prefer um, providing therapeutic intervention yeah. to adults. Yeah. So, and then, then did you go from Frontiers into ETSU? Where you? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, this okay. job came open, and I saw the description, and I was just like, this you were all over it. it. This is it because it's a combination of everything. Yeah, that I love. Right, it's like that you get to do the therapeutic piece. There's an opportunity for supervise a supervisory role, and then you. I also get to run a program, which ha happens to have a topic that I'm extraordinarily passionate about. You know, whereas we have we also have alcohol and other drug um, topic area and suicide prevention um, here, and so um, you know there are different levels of like commitment and interest to these topics. And people tend to gravitate toward whatever job is open because it's such, you know, working for a college counseling center is, is such a, um, an opportunity. Yeah. Um, but you don't always get the luxury of being matched with a program that you just happen to like have a heart for. Right. Um, so, so I just re really care about this topic area. Um, and, and it gets integrated into my work and my work gets integrated into it clinically and, you know, and outreach wise. So it's, yeah. it's a combination. So was Oasis and like the other program you were, you were working with, was that already like up and running when you moved into your role or did you start some of it? Yeah. So um, my, one of my bosses, actually, she's the associate, Rebecca Alexander, who's the associate director of the counseling center. Um, and oddly, who also went to University of Vermont for English and oh, that's funny. From Massachusetts, like very strange. Um, but she, she, there was one person before her, her name's Kimba Shore Mackey, and she's actually in the community now. She, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Shakti in the Mountains. And um, it's sort of, like, it's a women's community center and she has a garden and she does yoga and they do events and she also does personal counseling privately um, and groups. Um, but she's very involved in the community. She okay. was the first person at ETSU in that role. Like okay. she was here in the counseling center when they created that role. And so she was there for quite some time and then she left to start Shakti in the Mountains and then Rebecca came in and changed the name of the program to Oasis and sort okay. of um, started that conversation around sex positivity and relationship positivity and what kind of framework that is. Um, and so I very much just dipped right in and got to continue a lot of the things that she started and then also changed some things and started some things um, of my own. But I was, it was very luxurious in that way. Yeah. Um, she was still there. So I sort of had a mentor um, and sort of had program pieces in place um, that I was able just to kind of come into. Yeah. So one thing that I, I've always believed, and now I'm very affirmed in believing this, that, like, you, I know when I, and we kind of talked about this earlier, like, when I was 20, 22, 24, I didn't know, you know, I, I grew up thinking, like, like you said earlier, like, you would go to college, you'd get married, you'd have your 2.5 kids, and you'd live <laughs> happily ever after, um, and I remember when I was an undergrad, really kind of having a, a, an evening with, with my poor roommate where I kind of had what I now term as like the senior freak out. And I've, I've even told seniors, I'm like, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will just hang on. And like, it's totally okay. Like cry, be anxious, whatever you need to do, let that out, but it's going to happen and, and you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like this, this idea, current students feel this as much as I did. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe the recognition that like your professional path does evolve. Like you don't just get a job and that's it. Um, so anyway, all that being said, do you, you know, yours has been quite a winding road to where you are now. 
do you have like future aspir like other things that are ideas of what you might want to do oh, in the next several years as your career evolves? Like what are, what are future goals for you? That's a great question. Um, and yet the, the, you know, the university evolves too. So there are all sorts right. of things. I mean, COVID has kind of, you know, stunted some of that progress in sure. a lot of, so who knows, who knows, because financially, you know, things change when there are, you know, potentially things that are going to be rolled out, but then they don't happen. What I've learned working for a university, um, and I'm sure this is true in other spaces, but just having been involved in higher ed for so long and now working in higher ed, is I don't believe it until I see it. Like until something's signed on the dotted line or like a person is in a role, it's not happening, <laughs> you know, until it's happening, right? So there's, a, there's been a lot of talk about movement of a wellness director into the university in some capacity who might take on some of the um, bigger outreach pieces that we have in the counseling center because what we have here is really unique it is not typical for um, a counseling center to also function kind of as a wellness center in terms of the outreach mm -hmm. um, so most colleges and universities have a you know wellness center or some sort of program um, that's more public health oriented where they have educators health educators like in my role and in alcohol and other drug education role. Um, and so, so it's unique that we are, are all of those things, that we are yeah. staff that also do that. And most counseling centers do still have, they just still do presentations and they still do outreach, but it's usually more general around relationships and stress and um, more tip anxiety, depression, um, more typical um, specific presenting issues that are clinical um, versus these um, you know, more public health education and outreach pieces. Um, and we've found that to be really difficult to balance as coordinators of these programs because the really large scale outreach, like there are events that we like, I'm in charge of um, what historically we've done since I started uh, Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, the International Men's March to Stop Rape, Sexual Assault and Gender Violence. I usually start planning for that in like November or December and it's not until April because it's so much work. And yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I'm not in charge of an outreach program, I'm a clinical staff member who happens to also have this program that's supposed to be five hours of my week, which is not happening, <laughs> even with a GA. And so, so it's not actually, I mean, I want to say it's not actually possible, but it is because we do it. But what we found over the years is like, it's, it's really hard to continue to do that. Yeah. Um, so we are trying to figure out ways um, to be more creative and also more effective because what a lot of the research shows is that while these big events are really, they're important for campuses because they get community attention, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you get the news crews and you get um, connection to the community and also you have people see it who might not otherwise unless they were coming to a presentation in a class or knew about us specifically. Um, so there are very important pieces to that. But what the research shows is that in terms of education and growth for the student developmentally, there's not a lot going on with like those programs versus if I'm in a classroom or I'm sitting with students for an hour and we're talking about this topic and dialoguing and creating safe space for that that feels like a lot more potential for movement yeah in terms of behavioral change right um, and for some things like consent um and you know fighting for preventing things like sexual assault and intimate partner violence like to me that's that's more important you know so we're trying to figure out ways to shift those kind of things and then for me personally um it's hard because uh, you know i've i've considered private practice um and i've considered it looking at you know other opportunities but the college population is so wonderful 
I don't, I, I knock on wood, because I, I, I'd say the closest to burnout that I've ever felt is this year, and I don't think it's about, I think it's COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just where everyone is, mm -hmm. um, but that is really affecting students and, and so like, and, and affecting our ability to serve the students, and so that's, that's a lot. Um, but the population itself, I don't, and because of, I think part of it being that because I'm doing both clinical work and also this other programmatic work and supervision and things like this, there are so many opportunities for other pieces that it, I think it prevents clinical burnout for me because I'm not seeing 35 to 40 clients. Yeah. Um, and, and so even though it can be really overwhelming to juggle all the things and have the different hats, um, that sometimes can be a lot. Um, it's hard, it's hard to like throughout a day kind of move back and forth. And back. Right. But also it, it sort of keeps your brain focused on different things. And I think that that really helps to prevent the burnout in any of the directions. Yeah. Um, so it's every time I sort of start like looking around where I'm like, I've been here for seven years. I'm, I'm feeling like somewhat of a midlife crisis, you know, like maybe I need to, I'll see that. And I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> so I feel I, in that way, I feel not again, not that way. I feel very spoiled to be in that position, to feel like I have the luxury to explore the possibilities outside of this, but I still have this, if this is where I choose to stay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my colleagues um, have been very flexible. It, I'm so grateful for a job like this, doing something like this as a working parent of small children, one of whom is now in actual school um, and, and doing it from home. If it weren't for a job like this, I just don't know if I would still have my job. Um, so, so that's also, you know, that also plays into it when you have these other really realistic life things that um, also need to be accounted for. Like, where do you put your child when they no longer can go to school or daycare? <laughs> hopefully your job is great for to you because as we've seen, you know, in terms of yeah. lost their jobs during this time, that's not true for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. And when I guess, yeah, I mean, I get the whole, I, so I escaped from ETSU at 48 hours instead of 60, which now I don't think they let people do. So like, I'm not eligible for like, if I wanted to become licensed, um, I would have to go back to school for 12 more hours and then start the, the process of getting my hours towards licensure and all that stuff. So I, for about five minutes earlier this year, thought like, do I want to go that route? Yeah. Because I was like, I didn't want to do it, you know, eight years ago, but yeah. maybe I, maybe it would be a better fit now. Cause like, I think, you know, like that's parts of that are so appealing, but I agree with you. Like as crazy as my mind is like going from thing to thing to thing to thing right now, especially because of COVID. Yeah. I, I do like most of the time that, you know, I don't necessarily know what I'm going to do on any given day and that I get to focus on different things. And that is a perk of the world of, of higher ed, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's good to view it that way because most places in higher ed, you're going to wear multiple hats, especially yes. if you're at a smaller institution, but um, <laughs> yes. But I think anyway. also, um, it, it's been harder during COVID to remember what it was like before this mm -hmm. because as a nine so this is something for students to consider you know just like really getting to know yourself through things like the enneagram um and and uh noticing what sort of gives you the energy gives you the drive gets you excited um i don't get that same feeling when i'm like recording myself talking about this stuff or if i'm just sitting thinking about it and so I, it's almost like I forget what it feels like to be really excited about something. 
And then um, later this afternoon, I'm doing a recording with my graduate assistant. And again, like it's, it's, it's not the same, but it, it's even just with her recording with me yeah. and talking about the topic and knowing that the like, students are going to be hearing me talking about it. I just get real excited, you know, and I can feel it. And I feel that when I present to students and when I work with them in that way, and when we like touch on these kind of topics, and I feel that when I'm doing really good clinical work with someone where it's like, we're really sinking. Mm -hmm. um, and and then so the, this is just a really weird time and it will it can be that way you know outside of I mean, i'm using COVID as a specific example because i'm i haven't experienced this right now but i'm remembering what it's like thinking like when i imagine myself in private practice versus being in a space where there are a lot of other people who have similar like love and passion for working with students yeah. and who you know like love their jobs here and or even if they don't love their like you know you have that connection with them for me that is really healthy um, to have those kind of collaborative relationships mm -hmm. and to be able to see other people day in and day out in that way. Um, and I do wonder about that for someone like me specifically, um, yeah. so that's part where the self-evaluation is really important. Whereas if you are an extremely introverted person, that might be a great route for you, you know, compared to being like, if I have to have one more meeting, <laughs> you know, with this group of people or that group of people or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, that might be, that might be a better route. So, so it is, it is really important to, to be able to decipher between like what other people are doing and what is best for you and like really getting centered around that. And that's where I love things like meditation and yoga, um, and, uh, experiential body-based things like that, where you really can get internal and get connected with what's coming up for you um, and how you're feeling, um, based on, you know, whatever it is that you're doing day in and day out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think I feel like um, a lot of undergrads who are wanting to pursue some sort of graduate degree with the end goal of doing some form of clinical work, I would imagine more often than not, they don't think about the MSW and LCSW route. They, they think counseling or, you know, if they really want to go for it, like clinical psych. Yeah. Um, so what, if you were talking with a junior or senior who was trying to figure out what, you know, what programs to apply to, like, what about like an MSW and LCSW, like, would you, I guess, advocate for, I guess, if you're selling, you yeah. know, you, you thought your days of selling were done, but if you were selling <laughs> the, the MSW well, I still, versus. I still try to sell the MSW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Versus it, doesn't the, feel, it doesn't feel inauthentic. Yeah. Like, selling something that I believe in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah, like what, I guess like it kind of a, not really like a compare and contrast, but like what opportunities do you think maybe, or experiences do you think that an, an, an MSW gives that maybe you wouldn't sure. get as much in a counseling route? Yeah. Yeah. And this is where my authenticity can come out because I will be honest about it with people too, that um, being a social worker is not an easy gig. No. Yeah. Um, I feel and that that is where some of the luxury comes from for me is a lot of the social work jobs that I'm looking at, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I've been too spoiled <laughs> in this role um, to want to do, and, and that also, again, is me knowing myself well enough and where I am in my life and where my priorities are um, to know like what would burnout would look like for me. Whereas someone else who is a social worker would be like, this is, this is what drives me. Like doing crisis work all day is what yeah. drives me and like, gives me energy and brings me joy. I, there's none of that for me <laughs> in that space, you know? So it's, again, that's something that takes time to learn about yourself, um, which is um, why it can be so difficult to make this decision before you know. 
um, which is why I encourage people who, if, if they're not 100% sure where they want to go next, to take a year or two off and work mm -hmm. somewhere and do something. Maybe, maybe like do some sort of paid internship or shadow, um, or even you know works wherever you need to work, but in your spare time, volunteer in spaces that might be something moving toward you know an area of interest, so that you get a feel for like on the ground what it's really like to work in that area because it's very different than learning about it. Um, but the reason that I believe that the MSW um, is a good route is because they're, um, you know, especially compared to what I've noticed for, for people who, especially in this area, the, the tough thing is that in this area, there aren't, there isn't a lot of opportunity generally um, outside of big agencies and then private practice. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're moving to a city or somewhere else, there may be a lot of more opportunities for both of the, any of those degrees. Um, psychology is, you know, the PhD in psychology uh, certainly makes a person the most money. So if that's important to you, it may be worth the time and energy to go through four years of that. Um, and uh, many people go into private practice um, who have those degrees or administration um, in places like, like our, our director is a PhD in psychology. Um, and so, you know, the PhD, of course, gives you more opportunities professionally and so all sorts of, you know, different ways, but between um, social work and counseling. What I've noticed in this area is that there are more job opportunities for social workers um, and some of them even pay more. So like for instance at the VA, um, they, they, they now hire much more in the, I've noticed in the counseling area than they have in the past. Um, so there are opportunities for professional counselors and marriage and family therapists there as well. But I didn't notice, I think that generally speaking the pay is lower and there aren't as many job opportunities. Um, so there are certain agencies and areas where, um, I don't, and I don't know why that is, um, the, the MSW itself or like the licensure is more coveted. Um, and I don't know if that is related to insurance billing or what, but, um, but I know that that does affect uh, job opportunities once, once you've graduated and gotten your hours. Um, and like I said, if you're, if you're going into private, if like your end goal is private practice and you know that, then I don't know if that matters as much. Yeah. Um, but if you're not sure and there's potential for agency work, um, at least in this area, there, there seem to be more job opportunities for social workers. Um, and, the, and, and the neat thing about having supervised both, you know, having master's level students in both of these areas is you sort of see what the benefits of one program is versus the drawbacks. And you sort of see that in, in play, you know, um, with clients and in supervision. Um, and that's really neat for our students too, because they get to learn from different people because we happen yeah. to have people from all these different licensure areas and training um, and some who are trained at ETSU and some who are trained outside. Um, so you really get like sort of the experience of seeing um, how different people work differently and the perspectives. Um, but because I, I just as a person, um, I'm very social justice oriented um, and, and focus a lot of my energy and attention on um, oppressed groups of people and like fighting for the rights of people who don't have the privileges that I have or mm -hmm. um, uh, speaking out about, you know, you know, just the, the issue of sexual violence and, um, and sexual identity um, that, that delves into all sorts of um, experiences of oppression with individuals and groups. Um, and so, and so for me, that really fit because of just the strong social justice mission of the social work profession. Um, and, uh, but you know, there are, you know, what I've noticed in from the people who are in the counseling um, realm of things, um, it seems like they are 
better trained generally to with therapeutic like natural therapeutic intervention where it seems like um, the social work students tend to be much stronger in terms of basic meeting basic needs like case management yeah. type work um, and so that's usually where the where the growth edge is for both in different directions you know so our social work students there um, there is more training around just how to be with a person and how to create that relationship um, and like putting putting the you know, putting this away because there yeah. tends to be more of like the box checking and, and like, here's a CBT intervention or like, here, let's check this box or get this done. Um, and I know that for me, that's just sort of a natural thing as well. Um, so, so, so for those students, we're challenging them more out of that being more. And then for our counseling students, we're challenging them more into doing more. Yeah. Um, and so, so I don't know if there's necessarily like, I prefer this or this is better than that. Yeah. Um, because I think that there are strengths in both, and I think sure. that both can be learned, just depending on what your next step is in your training. Um, but but that's that's what connected me more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have one last question that I'm asking everyone, but before I do that, do you have any other uh, nuggets that you want to share with whoever may end up listening to this? <laughs> I saw somebody the other day, and I was like, yeah, I don't know how long this will be used, but you know, the, the tens of people who maybe listen to this someday. <laughs> dozens, dozens, <laughs> a dozen. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. It's like, I, it's like I mentioned before, I think it's, it's worth noticing what makes you tick. Yeah, for sure. Especially at this time in your life, because, um, because we tend to get so bogged down with the expectations of us or the internalized that, that end up being the expectations of ourselves from us um, about like what you should be doing, what would make your parents proud, what would be impressive to talk about like with other people at parties. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what makes you feel good? Right. I hold on. I have the quote. Hang on. It's on the side of my desk so that my clients can see it. It says, "Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive." then go and do that because the world, what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's awesome. That's so true. So, so true. And I mean, and I've told students too, like, I always tell students, be open to opportunities that present themselves to you because worst case scenario, you're going to find something you don't want to do. And that's helpful too. Like, that's also part, that's also the directing. You're right. Like check that box, not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Figure, figure out, out what. It, I mean, that was me in the counseling program. There was there was one day, I was working in like the community clinic and had like four people scheduled back to back to back, which never happened yeah. until that day. And very unexpectedly, all four showed. Yeah. And so did all four of them. And I was that and uh, that alone it was like this has sucked all energy out of me. Yeah. I am not going to be able to do like a private practice type thing. Like yeah. I enjoy it and it's so needed, but that I just don't, that does not energize me enough. Yeah. I would be doing a disservice to people yeah. if I had pursued that and gone into yeah. that clinical route. And so recognizing that when you're in the midst of that program can be kind of scary, but yeah. Um, I did know I wanted, at that point anyway, I knew I wanted to work in higher ed. And fortunately, there are a lot of areas of higher ed that they want you to have a counseling degree um, or social work probably too. So um, so that's worked out. But yeah, I, I very much echo your sentiment of just being in tune with what 
what gets you going and also what really just zaps your energy because both yeah. are very valuable pieces of information. Yeah, for sure. So. All right, so your last question. Um, if you could go back and talk to your 18, 19, 20-year-old self, what would you tell her? Um, just because you get solid in a job um, and a career and, you know, like have this like image of, you know, being settled, like that doesn't, the self-exploration and discovery and like the not knowing, those don't stop. Right. <laughs> like, and, um, and, you know, just to speak to that fear of not knowing and, you know, um, feeling, feeling lost, um, that that's, that's all part of the journey and yeah. just figure it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking almost an hour of your day and giving that to me. I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I think this is going to be a good conversation for people to hear. So thank you so much for doing it. I appreciate it. I love that you're doing that. I hope someone gets something out of it. If it's even just one. I got something out of it. So at least we got Yay! that. <laughs> I consider it to be successful. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Have a good thank you, Heather. rest of your day. You too. Take care. This recording is a production of the Milligan University Faculty Resource Room. Thank you for listening.